You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the broadcast. Welcome to the broadcast, and thank you for joining us once again tonight. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and I'm coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan here on this Thursday night edition of the broadcast. So I'll be here for the next hour, your host and guide, as we dip into some of the headlines that are making news around the world. And I think it's inf- it's important that we do so because the media attention has been dominated for the past week by the Aurora, Colorado shooting. And as important as that story may or may not turn out to be, I think it's equally important to concentrate on the types of things that go under the radar when there is such mass 24-7 media coverage of a single event. There are some, usually some very important things happening on the world stage that can be covered up or adequately swept under the rug when the media attention is so dominated by a single event. And that is certainly the case in this case, where we are truly on the cusp of, once again, World War III. I hate to say it, because I've said it before so many times, but it really is a very extremely tense situation right now in Syria, with things only heating up even more. And uh, on the economic front, unfortunately, things not much better. And there's what I like to call the... the, uh, not the dead cat bounce, but the, the dying cat bounce that's going on with the Europe and uh, some comments from Mario Draghi. More on that later in the broadcast, but let's start by talking about Syria and what's happening there. And uh, one of the latest trends to come out of the media coverage of what's happening in Syria is this new fixation on the meme that Syria is uh, has chemical weapons at its disposal and is about to use them at any time to gas their own citizens. Well, I wonder where we heard uh, talk of that before. I wonder in which previous war we could we could think of cast our minds back to where that was the accusation about the tyrannical, insane regime that was willing to use these chemical weapons at a moment's notice. Hmm, I wonder if you can put those pieces together. But the latest is coming from places like the Atlantic Wire that has this report. Russia stopped Syria from gassing rebels. And it says uh, Syria's public position is that it won't use its chemical weapons unless some outside state attacks it. But a Reuters report by Samia Nakul on Tuesday included some scary news that Bashar al-Assad's regime was close to using them on rebels two weeks ago, but Russia stopped it. The story largely focuses on the cooperation between the United States, Israel, and Russia to stop Syria from using its chemical weapons and includes some terrifying comments from a diplomat who makes Syria sound a lot like a regime that came to to the brink of chemical warfare once already in this conflict. And the propaganda goes on from there, and unfortunately this is the new meme that they're rolling out for the Syria conflict. They're suddenly fixated and absolutely, uh, incredibly intensely uh, focusing on the chemical weapons that the al-Assad government has, despite the fact that presumably they've been there all along. But suddenly it's become a newsworthy, media-worthy story. And I think we know where this is going. Once again, it's an attempt to utterly and completely dehumanize the al-Assad government and make them seem like they will do truly anything whatsoever to uh, to the opposition in the country. And isn't that just another sign of the, uh, the, the meme that they want us to believe, that this is not just 
this is not just a, an, a government that's repressing a, a free a movement for free citizens or whatever spin the media wants to put on it, but that this is truly an insane individual who is simply interested in killing for no strategic reason and for no reason that would make sense on the international stage or in terms of his own country or anything like that. This is just someone who will do the most unthinkable things to his own citizens because he is absolutely insane. And uh, the uh, the propaganda is rubbing off because if you go and start reading through the comments on that particular post, which I, again I'll link up in the show notes for tonight's episode, you can see a lot of the people buying it hook, line, and sinker and basically believing that al-Assad is just so insane he would do this. So we can see the propaganda heating up. We're going to have to start tearing it apart and piecing it back together. We'll continue doing that on the other side of this break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, friends, welcome back to the program. Welcome back. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on republicbroadcasting.org, and I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're going to be going over the headlines that are making news behind the headlines that are making the big news, like James Holmes and the Aurora, Colorado shooting, or the London Olympics, which is next up on the global distraction agenda. And there are some interesting things shaping up around the Olympics uh, to do with cyber false flag uh, possibilities and uh, all sorts of um, mass media manipulation, mind control staged uh, events of various kinds are possible at this Olympics, let alone the fact that the Olympics themselves and the opening ceremonies, etc., tend to be a propaganda fest that at the very least is interesting to break down and analyze. But having said that, I'm sure that there will be a lot of distraction over the next couple of weeks. So once again, it's good to keep our eyes on what the real issues are as we careen towards the possibility of all-out war and or economic collapse. If you want to get in with any of your thoughts or comments, 1-800-313-9443, 1-800-313-9443. The phone lines are wide open on any topic you'd like to talk about. And we will be joined later on in tonight's broadcast by James Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com. But turning our attention back to Syria and what's happening there, it looks like that the uh, the next stage of this uh, this battle that's taking place is going to be Aleppo. And we can see that from, uh, well, basically any of the coverage in Syria in the last couple of days. But let's take it from the New York Times, because why not? They have a story up, Syrians flee Aleppo as opposing forces take position. And it says, the Syrian military shelled rebel targets in urban enclaves on Thursday as it readied assault troops and armored columns for a possible invasion of Aleppo, Syria's densely populated commercial capital, where insurgents have embedded themselves over the past week in preparation for a battle. Anti-government activists reached by phone and Skype in Aleppo said that the city's civilian population was gripped by foreboding as government forces massed on the southern outskirts and that fierce street clashes had sporadically erupted, but Syrian military commanders appeared to be awaiting reinforcements before issuing invasion orders. So the uh, narrative is shaping up here that Aleppo is going to be the battleground of uh, the next major conflict between Syria, uh, Syrian forces and the supposed free Syrian army or whatever they're going by now. Um, and this is uh, an interesting turn of events because Aleppo has hitherto been portrayed as a pro-government uh, enclave in in Syria, not as a center of resistance. But now we've got this narrative that uh, this is suddenly where all of the freedom fighters and all of these the people who hate Assad are, are amassed. 
And uh, so it's going to be a question of, well, what kind of battle is going to shape up here and what kind of atrocities are the Assad government going to commit? Well, let's turn for a more realistic perspective to the Land Destroyer Report, which, once again, for people who don't know out there, landdestroyer.blogspot.com has some excellent coverage of Syria and um, is publishing all sorts of uh, very interesting stories on pretty much a daily basis about Syria specifically and about the the Middle East in general and about uh, the world, really, in general, but specifically Syria in the last few days. So let's turn to a report they issued on July 25th, 2012, about this new Aleppo battleground. It's called In Syria, How to Liberate a Pro-Army City. NATO terrorists come to overrun, not liberate Aleppo. And uh, Tony Cardellucci writes, A pivotal conflict is unfolding in northern Syria in the city of Aleppo, one told with two narratives. For the Western media, speaking on behalf of U.S. foreign policy and the corporate financier interests behind both their journalism and the subversion of, the si- of Syria, the battle for Aleppo constitutes brave po- pro-democracy fighters rising up in the streets of the ancient city to do battle with invading regime thugs. This despite a year and a half of reporting Aleppo as admittedly a pro-government bastion. The second narrative is discerned not from official Syrian government talking points, but from a more critical examination of the Western media's own reports, which exposes what is indeed, instead, indeed, a pro-Syrian army, pro-Syria city being overrun by so-called free Syrian army militants, pouring in from two specific points, Aleppo's northeast facing Azaz, and Aleppo's northwest facing Bab al-Hawa. Militants emanating from these directions come from areas directly from the Turkish border. We know this because BBC and other Western networks rode in with the militants on their way to Aleppo. One report by BBC's Ian Panel describes how he came in on just such a convoy. Clearly, these are not sons of Aleppo rising up. The offensive was coordinated with an assassination bombing and a similar militant assault on Damascus. Timed so closely with the UN Security Council vote, the vote was pushed back a day only to be vetoed by Russia and China, with Pakistan and South Africa abstaining in protest of the U.S.-U.K.-backed resolution. It appears that the operation in Damascus was expected to last longer and cause more chaos amongst the ranks of the Syrian military. It also looks like a large psychological operation planned by NATO was attempted, but failed, or pushed back at the very least, one involving the seizing of Syrian broadcasting and replacing it with false reports of the government's imminent demise. The lightning-fast defeat of FSA militants in Damascus lent the Syrian people and their army a morale boost instead of the psychological defeat NATO had intended to deal. With Damascus secured and slowly returning back to normal, all eyes have fixated on Aleppo. The Western media is now portraying security operations in the city as brutal, with verified lies of Russian-made MiGs bombing civilian populations being spread. With FSA militants seemingly trapped in the center of the city, and with the Syrian army already bringing in reinforcements, the Western media has attempted to portray what was a militant infiltration of the city as instead an invasion of the Syrian military forces against city defenders. Okay, I'll leave the quote there. Once again, you can go continue reading that extremely informative report at landdestroyer.blogspot.com. The links will be in the show notes for today's episode at corbettreport.com slash radio. And I suggest you do go and read that report because it has the uh, hyperlinks to all of the 
points that uh, that Cardellucci is making in this article. But uh, absolutely, people have to understand that the, the reality, of course, as usual, is exactly the inverse of what they're trying to make us believe about what's happening in Aleppo right now. This is not some sort of pro pro uh, anti-government uh, uprising within the city this is a city that's being taken over by the anti-government protesters so uh so exactly the reverse and that means that all of the carnage and the destruction and all of the the bloodshed that's taking place there now is going to be blamed on the syrian government because the the narrative has been framed that this is the government going in to try to quell some natural rebellion within the city when if it's the opposite as for example cardalucci is showing here then it's actually a city that's trying to resist being infiltrated from the outside by these anti-government uh, activists. So, so then all the carnage and bloodshed is actually caused by them, and uh, they're they're making up reports of these Russian MiG bombings, etc. And there's a link to another report that uh, Tony Cardellucci did the other day about uh, about those claims, those spurious claims and where they're coming from. So uh, once again, Aleppo is going to be the, the next stage of all of this. As the as he notes in that article, Damascus failed to become the, uh, the rallying point that they had hoped it would be with their psychological operations and trying to pull one over on the public because uh, there was the, for example, a recent car bombing in, uh, in Damascus that left uh, several people dead and that was praised by no, no less than Hitlery Clinton. So, uh, so once again, we see that just like always, the, uh, the terrorists, the real terrorists, are the ones that are calling for the bloodshed in the name of their political cause, like Hitlery Clinton, etc. And, uh, and once again, the media will report it completely without questioning the hypocrisy involved in all of this. Although, as James Evan Pilato and I pointed out on the most recent edition of New World Next Week at newworldnextweek.com, the uh, Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, has been calling out Clinton and others on basically praising terrorism in Syria and saying it's a great thing when people, uh, innocent civilians, die in terrorist events as long as it's our guys doing it, which is what uh, basically the State Department is trying to claim here. And of course, our guys, as we have talked about before, involves, in this case, uh, al-Qaeda, etc., just as it did in Libya. So, uh, so again, Syria, just an incredible hotspot right now and some very important events taking, uh, taking place there. So I hope they don't get lost in the Olympic mix. And, uh, just on, while we're on the war note, I will direct your attention to a very interesting infographic from Zero Hedge, Spot the Naval Hot Zone. And they show the distribution of various aircraft carrier groups, etc., around the world at the moment. And basically, they are clustered in two clumps. Um, one in the Pacific, uh, where the, there's some Chinese-Philippine uh, squabbling over uh, over certain areas right now, and the other in the Middle East. So um, very interesting and informative infographic there I'll point your attention to. But we have a caller on the line, so let's go to your calls. Let's go to Bill in Seattle. Bill, thanks for joining us on the line tonight. Yeah, hi, James. Love your show. A uh, question I wanted to ask you in regards to Syria, you hadn't got around to mentioning yet, uh, kind of fell off the radar several weeks ago. I, I forget if it was just before or immediately after they shot down Turkey's uh, fighter plane. I, I heard that they had several hundred of these uh, terrorists captured, and they were going to present them to the media, and then I haven't heard another thing. Who, who had the terrorists captured? The Syrian government? That's what I was told. Yeah, I, I, I was can't say a lot of channels. 
Hmm. I can't say I heard that story, that particular story, so I don't know the details of that. Um, I certainly haven't seen any follow-up of that, so if that did happen, yeah. it, it wasn't reported that I know of. Okay, okay. Well, hey, thank you, James, and keep up the good work. All right, no problem. Well, I will, uh, I'll check into that and see if there's anything I can dig, dig up on that. Um, but unfortunately, in a lot of these cases, um, things get reported that, uh, that come out of nowhere and, uh, perhaps have no, nothing to them. So, so once again, we'll have to see how that plays out. But thanks for that, Bill. Okay, thank you, Jewish. Bye. All right. Well, unfortunately, we are on that knife edge of military tension, not only in Syria, as I say, but also in the uh, in the Pacific, where things are heating up with China once again threatening uh, and to become a naval aggressor and is, is increasingly making its presence felt there. And that's something that I'm going to be writing about in this week's uh, International Forecaster editorial for the internationalforecaster.com. It's also part of my own weekly newsletter, so I suggest if you're not signed up for that, that you do so. I'm going to have, be writing about that in great detail, so I hope you'll uh, stay tuned for that. And I hope you'll stay tuned as we go to a break, but when we come back, we'll continue talking about the economic collapse, and then later on in the program, we'll be joined by James Evan Pilato of foodworldorder.com. So hang on to your hat and stay right there. We'll be right back. Okay, friends, welcome back to the broadcast. James Corbett here from CorbettReport.com. And just on the note of what Bill in Seattle was bringing up there, just during the break, I was able to pull up a story from March of this year talking about hundreds of foreign mercenaries captured by Syrian army after regaining control of terrorist-held areas of homes. And there are a few videos embedded here, a couple of them from RT. So apparently there were hundreds of foreign uh terrorists that had been captured by the Syrian army and some majority of them are were French and RT was reporting on it. I haven't uh, seen the videos yet or taken a look at this, so I will have to do some more dinging and see what really came of that story, but uh, interesting lead nonetheless. So thank you for, uh, for that for, uh, to Bill. But let's continue on. As I say, not only are we facing a knife edge of military tension around the world, we're also on the knife edge of economic collapse. And that is uh, highlighted by a story that's being paraded and masqueraded as a good news, a feel-good story. Um, but I think it actually indicates something much more ominous underneath. And that comes uh, via Los Angeles Times, latimes.com. Stocks close higher after ECB vows to protect the euro. It was the buy signal that markets were waiting for. When European Central Bank President Mario Draghi vowed to do whatever it takes to keep the cont- continent's monetary union intact... Stocks were off to the races in the U.S. and Europe. The Dow Jones Industrial Average on Thursday jumped 212 points, or 1.7%, to 12,888, following big gains in European markets. Benchmark stocks inde- stock indexes in Spain and Italy surged 6% and 4% in France. Draghi's comments at an investor conference at the Olympics raised hopes that Europe's central bank might intervene to bring down the cripplingly high borrowing costs for struggling European countries like Spain and Italy. After insisting for months that it was up to European governments to restore confidence in the currency shared by 17 nations there, Draghi pledged that the ECB is ready to do whatever it takes to preserve the euro. And so we see the attendant boost in stocks, and everything is hunky-dory again, because the markets have been reassured that the European Central Bank is going to step in with 
any amount of quantitative easing, printing money out of thin air that's needed in order to rescue the euro. Oh, doesn't that sound wonderful? And all this means is that the banksters are doubling down on their uh, on their ridiculous bet and just making sure that no matter what happens, they're going to keep pumping money into that limitless black hole that is the debt obligations of these various European banks that are absolutely undercapitalized and uh, which all, all everything that we've seen shows that there's no way out of this situation. All they can do is continue prolonging it, uh, kicking the can up the hill, as one of my recent guests on CorbettReport.com said, and all that means it's going to roll back down the hill after they uh, they kick it up. And in the exact same way, this is what this boost in stocks is about. This doesn't represent any actual improvement in the situation. All it means is that uh, that now the market is pricing in the idea that the European Central Bank is going to bail out the banks no matter what happens. And, uh, and of course, that's just done with funny money that just obligates the people of Europe even further into debt to these uh, these fictitious banker debts that were created out of nothing at the expense of the people and uh, and it's it's absolutely lamentable it's ridiculous that anyone would think that there's anything positive to this it doesn't represent any th- any sliver of hope for the European economy. There's nothing productive about what's happening here. All it's saying is that more funny money is on the way should it be needed. And trust me, it will be needed. The, Span- the Spanish banks are on the on the verge of uh, teetering over, and uh, Spain's uh, in- interest rates have been hitting 7% recently for treasury bonds, which is uh, part of that psychological barrier. 7% means uh, in trouble, and uh, and in order to keep it down, they can uh, they can create as much uh, of a flood of funny money as they want to try to keep that beach ball below the water, but as soon as they let go, it's going to pop back up. And, uh, and the further down they try to sink it, the more that it's going to try to pop back up. So it, again, it's all illusory, and it's all part of this house of cards upon which the entire global financial system rests. And for more on that, I would suggest people turn back to yesterday's edition of this broadcast in the Corbett Report archives, where we were talking about Carol Quigley and uh, how he was exposing what the global financial system was really about and who it was really run by. But uh, moving on to some other economic news, which could possibly theoretically be some good news, we'll have to see what's going to come of this, but uh, this came across the newswires the other day. Ron Paul's audit the Fed bill passes the House. At long last, Ron Paul, Ron Paul has his day. The House of Representatives on Wednesday overwhelmingly approved the Texas Republicans' bill to increase the transparency of the Federal Reserve. With bipartisan support, the measure passed 327 to 98. One Republican, Representative Bob Turner of New York, joined 97 Democrats in voting against it. For Paul, the journey to get his bill approved in the House has been a long and often lonely one. He first introduced the bill to a skeptical House a decade ago. While his efforts were ignored at the time, the call to audit the Fed had gained support from mainstream Republicans and Democrats. On the presidential campaign trail in 2008, Paul spoke often about the need to make make more of the Federal Reserve's activities public, a cause that became a rallying cry for his supporters. Paul's book, End the Fed, was published in September 2009, and he continued his crusade against the federal bank into his second run for the Republican presidential nomination in 2012. So there's just a brief summary of the history of the audit the Fed bill and the fact that it has now passed the House, which at one point was unthinkable. Uh, I think we still have to keep this in perspective, knowing that the original goal was end the Fed, and this has become audit the Fed. So it's significantly watered down, and we'll see what, if any, effect this has 
if it even gets past the Senate and eventually gets uh, signed into law, which, again, is doubtful given Obama and the Democrats' uh, positions in the, those uh, parts of the legislature. But we'll see what happens, and let's remain hopeful until we uh, get our spirits crushed. And on that note, we'll be back with James Evan Pilato, foodworldorder.com, so sit, sit right there. All right, welcome back, my friends. Welcome one and all to Corbett Report Radio. Of course, I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and since this is Thursday night and we are in the second half of the broadcast, that means it's time to bring up our old friend, James Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com. And once again, let me remind all those listeners out there in Radioland that in the video version of today's podcast, you will also be able to see James and uh, see our conversation. So a little added bonus for you out there if you want to subscribe to that. Of course, the uh, RSS feed is completely free at CorbettReport.com, and there is even a handy-dandy video to show you how to sign up for an RSS feed if you've never done that before, and get these videos and radio broadcasts and all of my work delivered directly to your iPod or iPhone or Android or whatever it is you use to listen to these types of things. And on that note, let's bring him right up and on the air, James Evan Pilato, FoodWorldOrder.com. Thanks, as always, for coming on. Thank you so much. I I appreciate it. And James, as you're saying, as all your work comes out, I mean, you and I work fairly closely together but i'm still always floored each each day when i kind of fire up my podcatcher I'm, and and like yesterday it's like what you got lauren coleman of that effect so, <laughs> to be also. fair to be fair i wouldn't really have known about him at all if it wasn't for you so you were uh, pretty much responsible for me getting in touch with him so thank Did you, you mention that to him i did not i should have <laughs> i will i'll, I'll email him <laughs> it's all good it's all good no i, I love it i love it um, James, I, I, I think last week we may not have led with it. Oh, no, because last week we talked about quitting smoking, which I'll tell folks today is day 11. No cigarettes, only pulling my hair out and running <laughs> like a crazy person. But really, I mean, all, all the all the crap is, is out of me. It's now it's just trying to get into a, a more positive headspace. I... I'm going to go get some good running shoes this weekend. I never really, James, would have thought I would be doing any of these things. Like, what? No, I, I like film and music and, and things. But <laughs> I, I found I, I need something else. I need another outlet. And, of course, I mean, running, there's there's far worse things I can I can do for myself. So I feel that's really appropriate here on, on these Food World Order segments where we're talking about food, environment, and health. And I always point it out to folks, you know, to say I'm I'm no – you know, up on my, you know, high pedestal, I have, I have problems, you know, just like everyone else. And, and I have found talking to people about kind of what I, what I'm going through right now, you'll find most people, you know, are, are receptive and most, you know, no one is ever going to go, what? You're nuts. Everybody has, you know, has to have their, you know, their, their issues or their problems. So I want to throw out again the huge thanks to all the people who have sent helpful emails about, you know, their similar stories. Some people, had stories, James, that were even exactly, you know, I quit for the same reason. I'm 34, and when MCA of the Beastie Boys died, I, that was it. And that was kind of, you know, in a boiled-down version, my story. So my my email address is mediamonarchy at gmail.com. So, again, I, I wholeheartedly welcome anyone with their stories, with their encouragement about kicking what is the most addictive drug that does nothing for you it'd be one thing if it was the most addictive and 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 really you know did something but 
Nope. It's just garbage. Garbage that, uh, unfortunately, too many people are addicted to. So once again, my hat's off uh, to you for doing this. I know how, well, I don't know how incredibly difficult it, it can be, but I can have certainly imagine. So, uh, and it also seems you're going to shame me into becoming healthier overall with your running and all of this. I'm not feeling so healthy myself all of a sudden. <laughs> I, uh, I must admit I'm addicted to coffee, and uh, but I don't drink or smoke, uh, and I'm uh, I'm not really very active. So uh, maybe, uh, maybe you will inspire me to get going in terms of exercising so uh, we'll, we'll we'll compare we'll see who can become healthier faster well and and who knows that could be some whole other you know spin-off another spin-off show for us you know How about a spin-off <laughs> site <laughs> james and james get healthy.com <laughs> so after that digression there but again it's it's progression actually I don't know if we led with it, you know, we didn't lead with it last week, but we had one, but we'll lead with it this week with what St. Hicks would call a positive drug story. This comes from Cryptagon.com via Global Post, Portugal. The number of drug addicts halved a decade after drug decriminalization. On July 1st, 2001, Portugal decriminalized every imaginable drug from marijuana to cocaine to heroin. Some thought Lisbon would become a drug tourist haven. Others predicted usage rates among youths to surge. Eleven years later, it turns out they were both wrong. Over a decade has passed since Portugal changed its philosophy from labeling drug users as criminals to labeling them as people affected by a disease. This time lapse has allowed statistics to develop and in time has made Portugal an example to follow. So, clarification... Portugal's move to decriminalize does not mean people can carry around, use, and sell drugs free from police interference. That would be legalization. Rather, all drugs are decriminalized, meaning drug possession, distribution, and use is still illegal, while distribution and trafficking is still a criminal offense. Possession and use is moved out of criminal courts and into a special court where each offender's unique situation is judged by legal experts, psychologists, and social workers. Treatment and further action is decided in these courts where addicts and drug use is treated as a public health service rather than referring it to the justice system like here in the U.S. The resulting effect, a drastic reduction in addicts, with Portuguese officials reporting and highlighting that this number at 100,000 before the new policy was enacted has been cut in half in the following 10 years. Portugal's drug usage rates are now among the lowest of EU member states, according to the same report. And one more outcome, a lot less sick people. Drug-related diseases, including STDs and overdoses, have been reduced even more than usage rates, which experts believe is the result of the government offering treatment with no threat of legal ramifications to addicts. James, there are a couple related notes. Uruguay's government, the new pot dealer on the block, cannabinoids like those found in marijuana occur naturally in human breast milk. And that's from Natural News. And lastly, America's addiction to illicit drugs is declining. But guess what? Prescription painkiller abuse is growing. James. Interesting indeed. Well, let me cop to my total and utter ignorance of Portugal's uh, drug laws. I had no idea that they had decriminalized this uh, decade ago, but it is always interesting to read about things like this and the fact that, once again, ha the uh, number of drug addicts have halved in one decade. That's uh, pretty impressive. And uh, so again, it is an example to follow. I I'm not sure that uh, the 
the system of putting offenders into into these types of psychological assessments and social workers couldn't be abused if it was implemented in the wrong way. But at the very least, this is a step in the right direction of actually trying to help people who have a problem rather than trying to throw them behind bars and train them to be better criminals. Um, so hats off to Portugal. And uh, I, I would... I would say I hope this becomes a, 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 an example for the rest of the world to follow, but I, I'm not exactly going to hold my breath that, uh, that America or Canada or Japan or anywhere in Asia really would be following an example like that. James, our, our next story is, is from one of your frequent guests, DrTimBall.com. Polar bears and Inuit victims of environmental hysteria and inadequate science, not global warming. Usually, whatever Aboriginal or Indigenous people say about the environment is sacrosanct to environmentalists and government. However, when they disagree, their knowledge is belittled and ignored. It is happening to the Inuit about polar bears. Environmentalists and government claim polar bears are doomed because of global warming. Quote, most of the world's polar bears are likely to disappear in the next 30 to 50 years if the Arctic continues to heat up as climatologists predict to University of Alberta, scientists say, end quote, this is pure speculative alarmism, apparently without knowledge of climate and polar bear history. The world has cooled since 1998. The IPCC predictions are already incorrect, and polar bears have survived thousands of years of warmer temperatures, including the recent past. In April 2012, a report by the government of Nunavut on polar bear numbers contradicted the so-called experts. Quote, the bear population is not in crisis as people believed, said Drikus Gissing, Nunavut's director of wildlife management. There is no doom and gloom. Added that the government isn't dismissing concerns about climate change, but he said Nunavut wants to base bear management practices on current information and not predictions about what might happen. James, the article continues, but gets a little more heady with with facts and figures and, and numbers, and I'll I'll leave folks to go check this out again from drtimball.com. James, and I certainly hope that people do check out n- not only that article but some of the other articles that uh, that Dr. Timball has there. Um, I've, I cited one in my editorial last week for the International Forecaster talking about Roslyn waves and how they were responsible the the disruption of the Roslyn waves were responsible for the recent heat heating and warming in the eastern half of the United States that led to the uh, the latest round of global warming hysteria. Um, and this story as well, extremely interesting, extremely important, and uh, and it goes to show the the split that happens with uh, with in the climate science community between those who actually want to look at the data as it exists on the ground and those who want to look at the models and predictions. Which, as Doctor Ball notes here, and I think he's exactly right, the, all of the IPCC predictions from from the last uh, a couple of decades have turned out to be spectacularly wrong. But again, people are still willing to go uh, down the uh, the garden path with them no matter where they go so uh, the polar bears is a good example because it is one of those iconic images that has been seized on by the the global warming community and uh, it's it's got it once again exactly on its head the uh, the polar bear population is not in crisis and this is coming from the experts themselves not from some uh, some people sitting in a you know in nasa's headquarters uh, trying to f- predict what's about to happen based on global warming trends so uh, so again a very interesting article 
And and you're referring to that that famous kind of photoshopped photo of the polar bear standing on the little wedge of ice, like oh god, he might fall in. As if again, polar bears go, oh, they can't swim. <laughs> there are other related notes posted below this article. No warming since Kyoto was rejected 15 years ago. And James, even just as you were saying, this one from AmericanThinker.com. IPCC admits its past reports were junk. A quick note, and mostly it's it's all about the video that is included here, but it's from Mercola.com. Pain is in your brain and how to fix it. If you've ever wondered how your body's aches and pains tie into brain processes and how your attitude and emotions can affect them, you have to check this video out, Understanding Pain, What to Do About It. It's a complex process that's still being unraveled, but what is known is that your brain and consequently your thoughts and emotions play a key role in your experience of pain. So, James, again, I'll just implore folks to go check that video out. But as we said at the top of this segment, you know, again, I, I find now that I'm kind of going through this, you know, quitting smoking and then finding maybe other anxieties and things coming, coming bubbling up, you know, I, I I I love being able to kind of do this work and then see, you know, oh, I I needed that. I need I needed to see that article. I need I needed to see that video. And and again, huge thanks to my man Adam Campbell in Nova Scotia doing the lion's share of posting on FoodWorldOrder.com. Now again, as I as I'm trying to kind of, you know, find a new way, if you will. Absolutely. Well, I haven't seen this video yet, but I'm going to watch it because it's a very fascinating topic. So I'm I'm interested in it. I'll tie in one other brief one, Learned Helplessness and the War on You. This comes from BrassCheckTV.com, noting that learned helplessness is a technical term that refers to the condition of a human or animal that has learned to behave helplessly, failing to respond even though there are opportunities for it to help itself by avoiding unpleasant circumstances or by gaining positive rewards. So again, James, I, I find these things, it's it's... You know, mind, mind over matter, I suppose. And I hope people will go back in the archives of this very radio broadcast, uh, number 70, back in uh, 16th of February 2012. We covered learned helplessness and the history of that and what the implications that it has for people who are uh, who are looking for ways out of this and positive solutions instead of just dwelling on the negatives. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, an important topic. Now, James, we return to the weather wars, and we'll make our one note here on the occult Olympics set to begin here now in just, you know, the mere hours. From the Telegraph, rain may need to be faked for the opening Olympic ceremony. Famed director Danny Boyle, folks may know from, uh, you know, 28 Days Later, Slumdog Millionaire, Millions, I, I, I am a fan of his work. He's doing the big opening ritual. <laughs> Danny Boyle may, after all, have to use his fake clouds to engineer some rainfall over the London 2012 Olympics opening ceremony. The first detailed weather forecast for Friday, the 27th, suggests it could remain dry in the Olympic Park in East London when the filmmaker will present his 27 million pound spectacular to the world. Danny Boyle has kept precise details of the ceremony secret, but did disclose that there will be clouds capable of creating artificial rain in case it is a clear night. After two months of persistently damp weather, including the wettest June on record, Britain is set to enjoy the hottest temperatures of the year this week. I don't know if enjoy would be the word. 
a new report from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, here in the States, said that across the northern hemisphere, June was the warmest since records began, James. Which, as far as I know, is not true, because that was uh, a claim that was made recently, but uh, was refuted by going back in the records for the 1930s, and there's a post on, on Stephen Goddard's blog, Real Real Climate, Real Science, realscience.com. Uh, I'll have to look that one up. But anyway, I, I think that's bogus. But um, interesting story. And as I recall, doesn't this tie back to Beijing and the Beijing Olympics and the, the talk of weather modification going on for those opening ceremonies? Uh-huh. It does. It does. And and that was something as I was putting together some of the other links that are that are in this post. James, you and I, you know, again, we're we're not old old duffers that have been doing this for decades or anything, but we've kind of been, you know, doing this for several years now. So when stories kind of harken back, it's like, "Oh, that's right. I did cover all that geoengineering on on the site back then 4 years ago." So I I'm, I'm sure it will be in the Media Monarchy archives as as foodworldorder.com has not been around that long. James will again return to your current location and Fukushima's uncertainty problem. This coming from your own FukushimaUpdate.com. It's been well over a year since multiple meltdowns at the Fukushima Daiichi plant in Japan sparked the worst nuclear crisis in 25 years, and it is remarkable how little we still know about its impact. Getting into a paper published that puts the numbers on the health effects from the accident, the paper by engineers John Tenhove and Mark Jacobson of Stanford University seems at first glance to be a thorough analysis, but the uncertainties surrounding the crisis mean that the work is unable to provide even an order of magnitude guess for the number of cancer deaths that will result from Fukushima. Anywhere from 15 to 1,100 people may die as a result of exposure to radioactivity released by the plant. Another 24 to 1,800 people may experience the debilitating effects of cancer, although they won't perish from the disease. To most people, there's a big difference between 39 and 2,900 cancers. Why can't science do better? The problem is that these types of estimates depend on models and assumptions, James. In other words, it's guesswork of a very educated kind, but guesswork nonetheless. A couple of related notes. Disaster alternative capital and, and some other related on this post, James. All right. Well, we're heading to break, but uh, once again, garbage in, garbage out. And uh, that's what the models are all about. So let's take a short break. We'll be right back. All right, friends, we're back on Corbett Report Radio on this Thursday night edition of the broadcast, and we've been talking to James Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com, and we've gotten through the main bunch of uh, posts there on the front page of FoodWorldOrder.com, so if you want to go and follow along at home, you can always do so at FoodWorldOrder.com. But let's get to the uh, the final little blast of uh, information here in the binge and purge. What have we got up for that? Well, again, James, I, I suppose this is kind of a, a, a skinny binge and purge, if you will. As again, you know, I was coming off a, of a, a little bit of vacation and then came back and immediately quit smoking. So in a way, my my whole kind of routine has, has been a little difficult. I'm still, you know, doing my thing and getting my show together. And, I, you know, I'll be live on the air tomorrow, but it's hard. It's hard, in a way to kind of lose myself in it because then I just think, oh, I need a break. Oh, I should, uh, you know, uh, again... I ask folks to kind of bear with me. I'm so thankful I've been able to kind of pull together the 
the handful of folks who help keep all the sites in the Media Monarchy Kingdom pretty much up to date every single day. And again, if you go to the flagship site, MediaMonarchy.com, you'll see all the links to all the other sites that I run, whether you love music and movies or computers or technology or the occult or any of those things. I, I hope you'll, Hopefully you'll find something there. So it is a thin binge and purge, James, where the majority of the posts are actually, I have been leaning pretty heavily on BrassCheckTV.com. So videos about, you can get the full film of War on Health, the FDA's Cult of Tyranny. There's a piece on Agenda 21 for Dummies, the dangers of trans fats, the hazards of bleached flour, and even a note, again, with the weather wars, levies.org. They have a new app, a new iPhone app bringing the real story about New Orleans' levy failure disaster of 2005 right to the palm of your hand. However, the main top part of the binge and purge that I want to read into briefly here, because it's another positive note, I think, coming from the Boston Herald, but it's Dateline, Sacramento, California, battle over genetically engineered food heading to voters. A fight over genetically engineered foods have been heating up in the nation's grocery aisles. Now it's headed for the ballot box. Proposition 37 promises to set up big money battle pitching, rather pitting, natural food businesses and activists against multinational companies including Pepsi, Coke, and Kellogg. Backers and opponents have already raised nearly $4 million combined for campaigns to sway voters, an amount that's likely to swell into the tens of millions of dollars as the November election approaches. So basically, voters will soon decide whether to make California the first state in the country to require labels on products such as sweet corn whose genes have been altered to make them resistant to pests. So-called GMO foods, James, those made from genetically modified organisms, have been declared safe by U.S. regulators. But concern persists about the unforeseen consequences of this laboratory tinkering on human health and the environment. I don't, I don't know. What do the what do the prediction models say, James? <laughs> right. No, no. I, I just did a video for uh, the, the eye-opener report on the FDA and the First Amendment and free speech and all of this. And this ties into that with the FDA. Can they? Should they mandate what uh, companies have to say about their products or can't say? Well, if there's any case where this should apply, it would be something like ge- genetically engineered foods. But, of course, there's been such a l- reverse lobby trying to get this uh, stricken down that uh, it's very interesting to watch this play out, especially because Big Tobacco just had... A, uh, their own little uh, fight uh, over the, the warning labels, and the judge ruled that it was uh, their free speech. They don't have to put warning labels on their packets. So we'll see if uh, if they'll also strike down the, this uh, along similar grounds. But uh, but once again, people should stop relying on the government to tell them and start relying on their own resources. And what's that GMO site we always refer people to? Oh, uh, non-gmoproject.org. Okay, yes. I hope people go there and uh, and start doing the research for yourselves and, and start your own boycott. Don't wait for the FDA to do it for you. Anyway, uh, that's all the time for tonight. So, James, thanks again for your uh, time and help. I appreciate it so much, man. I thank you. And I thank all the listeners out there who make all of this possible. Once again, our sites are corporatereport.com and James's site, foodworldorder.com, will take you to the rest of his websites. On that note, we're out. Have a good night. <laughs>